We're in John chapter 8 this afternoon, and we'll be looking at verses 44 to the end of the chapter. And uh, the theme of the message this afternoon is, My Father honors me. Of course, Jesus said those words himself unto the people that he was speaking to in his day. And we realize that uh, the words of Christ were significantly important to the day in which he lived, considering that he was truly the Christ, the Messiah of God, the one who had come to redeem his people from their sins, and that there were many who were questioning who he was. And uh, so they not all believed in him, and many wanted to kill him. And we find that in some sense of the word, those uh, words, my father honors me, are also true of us. Because we don't heap honor upon ourselves, even as ministers or preachers of the word, we do not do that. Those who take honor unto themselves are those who are proud and those who are self-promoting and ambitious for some sense of their own goals. But as believers, we are to carry the same personality of Christ, the humble and the contrite heart, O Lord, that will not despise. And David, of course, spoke those words of himself. And he had to come to that place of repenting and turning to the Lord, I suppose, many times, much the same as we also do. And so as we read these verses now, consider our Lord and what he was up against at this very important time in his ministry. Let's look at verses 44 to 59 and read these scriptures. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not, Which of you convicteth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan, and hast a demon? Jesus answered, I have not a demon. But I honor my father, and ye do dishonor me. And I seek not my own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, If a man keep my sayings, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a demon. Abraham is dead, and the prophets... And thou sayest, if a man keep my sayings, he shall never taste of death? Art thou greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets are dead? Whom makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, 
If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that ye, he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him, and keep his sayings. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and was glad. Then said the Jews unto, the, unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for the reading of the word. Thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit to minister it to our hearts. Thank you, Father, that you are able to teach us and instruct us in the things of righteousness. And that we also need to honor and glorify the, the Son, whom you also honored and glorified. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Several areas we want to look at this afternoon. Uh, first of all, Jesus gives a clear statement of the devil here. Um, it really says some very uh, strong and decisive things concerning the evil one. And uh, as we look at those things, we, we can see that he truly is the father of lies, that is the evil one, and uh, that he is behind many of the uh, kinds of things that are against the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, even today. And he lives and still perpetrates his causes through many who do not know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. Even as he did in this particular time at human history. Secondly, only those who hear God's words are of God. And of course we understand when he says hear God's words, we're not just talking about physically hearing something. They have to hear that word of God with a heart of belief and faith. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And so this uh, plea to hear God's word is one that we know very well. And yet, those who call themselves uh, religious rulers and in authority at the time when Christ was alive, they had the very oracles of God in their hands, but yet they were not hearing the words of God because they were blinded by the evil one. Also, thirdly, we see, my father honors me, verses 54 to 59, and here is where Jesus makes a clear statement of himself that he was not saying the things that he was saying only because he wished to heap honor upon himself or to perpetrate his own authority 
or to usurp some particular position over others. No, he was sent of God the Father into the world. And as far as the world was concerned, it wasn't a very noble cause. He would die a criminal's death upon a cross. And so in the end, they would say of him, he saved others, he healed others, he delivered others, but he could not deliver himself. Um, And so it is the Father who honored Jesus. He honored him because he he is his only begotten Son. And because of the great cause that he came to fulfill the will of God, the purpose of God in redemption. And in the midst of a world that is against the gospel, and that tries in every way to undermine the truth of the word of God, We have the words of God, which are sufficient proof for us of why God the Father sent his only begotten Son to die for the sins of the world. And so we should prize this book uh, above all for the truth that it holds, because God has given it to us for that very purpose a truth that saves unto eternal life. So let us look at this passage here a little bit more closely uh, this afternoon. First of all, Jesus gives a clear statement of the devil in verses 44 to 46. He says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the loss of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now, as I said, this is a very clear statement of the evil one, of the devil, if you will, and of his uh, intentions, and of the things that he does perpetrate against humankind, and how he seeks to undermine the work of God, and the will of God. So this is considered to be one of the most decisive testimonies of the personality of the devil himself. It is quite impossible to suppose any kind of an accommodation in the Jewish views concerning this. We have to look at this as something as literal as we possibly can know concerning the personality of the evil one. This is not simply metaphorical speech. Uh, It is a solemn assertion of who the evil one is is and what he is like. And it says, uh, the lust of your father, uh, his impure thoughts, his malignant desires, his ungodly propensities, the inclinations and desires of the evil one, the loss of your father. Now he calls this the devil their father. And of course we know that this must go back to the fall itself. That is where the father of lies became embedded within the very fabric of humanity. 
for we find that he became that known as that beguiling and seducing serpent uh, if you will that beguiled Eve and whom Satan also uh, through Eve and her her ability to convince her husband to go along with uh, the um, this the rebellion against God and so as much as Eve was seduced and beguiled Adam was not he willingly uh, rebelled against God transgressed against the will of God the purpose of God and so the father of lies refers to the propensity of those who would follow uh, by their very fallen nature the will of the evil one himself and so Jesus refers to that the loss of your father the desires of your father and of course uh, we know to be born of God is one thing is to be born from above to be born of Satan well that doesn't happen the same way it comes through the fallen human nature and the propensity of the human nature to to rebel against God and these who were rebelling against God at the time when Jesus was upon the earth are those who wanted him killed they were rebelling against God they may have been in under in human authority over religious systems and in some sense even over, over their own people but nonetheless they were not doing the will of God and so they had to be doing the will of the evil one and he says the loss of your father ye father ye will do you will do it and I think it shows how that uh, Satan and his um, evil desires are truly carried out in the lives of people and perhaps we can think of many who have followed in this particular suit uh, in their very desires against God in their very desires to do evil and it is a very telling testimony of uh, the evil one of the devil and how that uh, people willingly follow him it says he was a murderer from the beginning um, of course the reference here is one which causes us to remember that the evil desires of Satan himself were to undo the will of God and murder uh, even from the very beginning murder was perpetrated through the fallen human nature and so in the widest sense of this uh, idea of murder and of hate and of the true transgression against the will of God this is the sense that it is being spoken of of course we know the first murder was Cain's killing his brother Abel 
But uh, we know that that came from the fallen human nature of Cain, uh, to transgress against the very nature of God. But there's been a a great, very many murders since then. And uh, that kind of thing which has fallen uh, upon the human race. And Satan continues to do those things. Um, And abode not in the truth. Uh, Here we have that uh, statement also being spoken of because there is no truth in him. And abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. Well, here again is that uh, terrible sense of um, the convicting nature of the evil one. There is no truth in him. Uh, he fell from the presence of God. Uh, sin was discovered in him. And because of this, um, he is wholly given over to the evil that he perpetrates. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, it says here. And so, perhaps his own will, he speaketh, speaks of his own will, he speaks of his own purpose, he speaks of his own propensities, He speaks of what is within him. So when we think of what Satan has to say, uh, even even Hollywood and the various kinds of entertainment industry, they seldom ever portray Satan as in a good setting. Um, Maybe comedians might say, the devil made me do it. But when it comes to Hollywood, they love to show the most grotesque images possible to shock the viewers if they are trying to show Satan in some sense. And uh, he's, he's probably every bit as bad as man can imagine, for sure. Uh, and so he speaks of his own, the evil within his own heart, the lies that he perpetrates, the temptations that he puts forth, the nature which is fallen from God and his ambition to overthrow the throne of God. Um, He speaks of his own. And when we think about some of these kinds of things that we ascribe to Satan and his character and his nature, do we not also see them in people? Is there not also a a great uh, sense of, of ambition and the kinds of evil within people that model what Satan is himself in their lives and in their ambition and in their power struggles and in their, their willingness to kill and to murder and to destroy others for the sake of their own uh, prestige and pride and arrogancy. Probably the one thing that we can all think of, probably that that kind of draws this image together of evil so much is abortion. The most innocent thing that comes out of a mother in union with a father is an innocency of a child 
And yet it is treated with the greatest disrespect and destruction by many. And it is not only treated by many with this disrespect and hatred and murder, but it is allowed by the citizenry, many of the citizenry of our own country, and not just our own country, the whole world. And if we can go further, we can say governments of the world, very few governments of the world want to stand up for the innocent who are dying in murder and in disregard of human life and the, the true innocence of, of a little child they are willing to, in the most grotesque way, exploit for their own profit. And, and not many people will talk about it. Once in a while we'll find groups that will. And probably we would have to say that as Christians we are far too silent ourselves. But it numbs us. As all evil has a tendency to do that, it numbs us. It causes us to be almost speechless because we don't know what more can be said than what people already see and know about the atrocities that people will do and the depths to which people will go to follow the desires of the evil one. And there, there, is, there is no other way to explain it. They can, they can frost it and sugarcoat it and they can, they can say all kinds of things about human rights and my, the rights of my body to do what I want to do with it and all of these kinds of feminist statements that they often make. But at the end of the day, there is a little baby that has died and has been ripped apart in a mother's womb and has been destroyed. At the end of the day, that becomes a product which is sold in the marketplace and is the most disgusting, deplorable thing that we can possibly think of. And, and this is the father of lies. This is the, the nature of the father of lies, the evil one. And, and he is the father of it. Of, of all lying. Of all falsehood. Of all temptation. Of all hate. Of all true murder and deceit. And malignancy. Of all kinds of things within the human nature which and not to be elevated, but to be shown for their true hatred and evilness within it. And we might just well add, Satan loves darkness rather than light. And do not people also love darkness rather than to expose their own sins? And he goes on to say in verse uh, 45, And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Well, this one kind of hits home, doesn't it? How many preachers have said the same thing that I just said? 
how many mothers for uh, human life have stood up and said the same thing about the innocence of a little child. And why would anybody want to destroy such a helpless little babe? And they will not believe the truth. And so evil is like this. Evil raises its ugly head and it promotes itself to the place. And it uses the most wonderful propaganda like my rights, my body, and my health, and my constitution, and me, and my, and you don't have a right over me. It uses the most wonderful truth of liberty and freedom and justice to promote its own evil and its injustice and its hatred and its murder. And that is what we see even at this time in human history when Jesus was facing these very people. Here is the Son of God promoting that He came to die for the sins of the world. Promoting that He came from God the Father to be a Savior of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Promoting that He came to usher in the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Promoting that He could do miracles to show that He was the true Messiah of God and He did many great miracles. And He said things that astounded even those who were great learners of their own day within their own scribes and Pharisees or teachers of their day more and above what they themselves knew he could speak and yet we find that this was true and because I tell you the truth he believed me not and we find in in a more practical down to earth setting where we live and move we suffer the same things though we promote the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ many do not believe it though we appeal to people to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and to rid themselves of many of the personal things of the human nature that they suffer under such as addictions and temptations and various kinds of, of things that affect them in their, in their families and in their personal lives and in their homes and in their workplace. They will not believe it. Though we tell them that reform is not enough, yet they must look to God for the true salvation, which comes only through Jesus Christ and through the Word of God, and yet they will not believe it. Though we tell them of the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, they do not believe it. And so it is that we find that the evil one continues to perpetrate these same crimes against humanity. Because as it says in Corinthians 4.4, 4, that Satan blinds the minds of those who believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, 
should shine unto them. You see, Satan does blind people to the truth. As much as we recognize that the scripture says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, and so we emphasize human responsibility, Satan is at the same time working against the power of the gospel to change the hearts and lives of people. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness. And we find that that Jesus gives a very strong argument to them. Why? That they would not believe him. Knowing full well what would happen. And let me just say, we have to do the same. We have to give a very strong argument for why they should believe in Jesus, knowing full well what will happen. We have to give a very strong argument for them to understand, for others to understand that there is no other salvation but through Christ. Jesus is the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only life. No man comes unto the Father but by Him. And so when we read something of this, don't take it just as a matter of course. Something only happened then, in Jesus' day, when he was 33 years of age, and he was ready to go to the cross. Remember, Satan is very much active. He's very much alive and well on planet Earth, I think, as Hal Lindsey wrote the book. And somehow, you know, the world wants to tell us there is no God, there is no Satan, there is only us, and we, we have to be strong and make ourselves uh, everything that we want to be. You see, the propaganda still continues, doesn't it? But let us remember the Word of God. We have to say what the Bible says. And so Jesus goes on to say, in verse 46, which of you convicteth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? So two things he's saying. First of all, he says, If there's anybody here that can convince me that I have sinned, you know, tell me about it. And then if you can't, then why, why don't you believe me when I tell you the truth? Why don't you believe me? Secondly, only those who hear God's word, words are of God. Only those who hear God's words are of God. Some of the most simplest statements are the, are the most profoundest statements we can possibly make. You don't have to be a theologian to, to understand what he's saying here. All you do is have to realize that God's word is powerful enough to change the hearts and lives of people if they will hear it. You know, the Word of God is that sword which is able to 
even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Word of God is that which creates faith within us as faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The Word of God is impressed upon us and and brought to fruition in our lives by the very Spirit of God who is able to take away the dullness of our hearing that we might hear for the very first time the words of life. And the simplest, the simplest statements say most profoundly the things that we need to hear most. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Very simple statements. But they carry the most profound meaning. And we should never get too far away from the simplicity of the gospel. Only those who hear God's words are of God. And so immediately... That cancels out a great many people. If they do not hear God's word and believe it, then they are not of God. It's as simple as that. And by the way, that is not judging anybody. That is not censorious judgment. In the sense that we are censoring somebody because of what they are doing. No, that is the judgment of God. In verse 47, He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. And so here again, he says, the reason you don't um, hear me is because you don't believe the words of God. And so he's saying, in effect, I am speaking the words of God. And there are many, of course, and we wonder sometimes, perhaps, with a sense of frustration, do we not? We try to tell somebody the gospel. We give them an important truth from the word of God, and yet it seems to fall upon deaf ears. And we perhaps are somewhat frustrated in that. But yet at the same time, if we understand what the Bible is saying, there isn't a lot you can do about that, if the person is rebelling against the word of God because that is in effect what they are doing they are in rebellion against what God's word says it's not your problem, it's their problem but that does not mean we should not continue to tell them and so in verse 47 he says because ye are not of God therefore Therefore, ye hear them not, because ye are not of God. Verse 48, Then answered the Jews, and said unto them, Say we not well, that thou art a Samaritan, and hast a demon. Well, of course, they're using an ethnic slur against Jesus. Well, you know, this, as you can see, this is not something which is particularly new. You know, today, you know, society likes to think it can just eradicate any kind of ethnic uh, slur. And all of a sudden, society is 
just the way that they want it to be. Uh, but we find that this has been going on for a long time. And they even used ethnic slurs against Jesus. Why? Because the Samaritans were essentially what we would call half-breeds. They were not purely Jews or purely anything. And of course the Jews looked down upon them and, and that's why the disciples were quite surprised that Jesus should stop by and talk to a Samaritan woman but now they use this against him and they even say that he must have a demon. As to, to say somebody has a demon then they're probably a little bit crazy. Remember the demon possessed person at the Gadarenes? Well, he was supposed to be crazy, right? He was out of his mind. They couldn't constrain him with chains or anything else. But when Jesus came along, he cast out the demons into a herd of swine and they went off into the ocean. Um, so they were telling basically that Jesus was, was not only crazy, he was not one of them. He was an outcast, in a sense. Um, and so he said, thou hast the devil. So we find that uh, the scorn that they heaped upon Jesus is in, is in a sense persecution against him much the same as many are persecuted who are called themselves Christians. In China today, there are many Christians and other minority groups that are being held in prison camps. And you may have heard some of the recent uh, information on that and how that they're so terribly mistreated and they're, they're, the Chinese are trying to re-educate them because they just don't believe this the right thing yet and they're very terribly persecuted uh, in many different grotesque ways and so Christians are and, and many people are persecuted not just Christians but anybody who who doesn't fall in line with somebody's particular authoritarian regime might find themselves under the same lash if you will and Jesus, of course, didn't, find, didn't fall in line with the status quo of his day either. And so we find that Jesus was up against it, as we might say. And Jesus said in verse 49, he says, Jesus answered, I have not a demon, but I honor my father and ye do dishonor me. Um, and, you know, it's, it's difficult, isn't it, to say the right thing at the right time in the most profound way? But of course, Jesus has a way of doing that. Uh, we have to remember, he is the Son of God, and when he says this, he says it with the greatest amount of confidence because he knew exactly why he had come into this world. He had come in to this world by supernatural means. God the Holy Spirit brought a conception upon Mary and Jesus came into this world as the incarnate Son of God. And so Jesus could make these statements. Uh, one of the things I suppose that each of us perhaps would like to do more than anything else is to have that sense of boldness that Jesus had to speak these things. But many people interpret these things wrongly, even as the Pharisees did in Christ's day. Um, they were really interpreting the things that he said as 
being self-promoting and glorifying himself and perhaps wanting to set his own political uh, agenda in the social arena of his day. But of course it was far from that. And they just weren't getting it because they did not hear the words of God when he spoke. They only heard the words of Joseph and Mary's son from Nazareth. And they did dishonor him. In verse 50, And I seek not my own glory, there is one that seeketh and judgeth. And of course here he does speak of his heavenly father. His heavenly father would do the seeking and would do the judging when the time came. But Jesus, remember, he didn't come to judge at this particular period of time. He came as a savior, as a redeemer of his people as one to give them the fullness of the gospel, the message of eternal life. And he talks about that in verse 51. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, he says, I say unto you, if a man keep my sayings, he shall never see death. You see, the words of Jesus really went way beyond their understanding. They didn't understand that. And, of course, this is, this is the word of God. This is what we have come to know and to understand because of saving faith that he was not talking about physical death. He was talking about spiritual death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he was talking about this, this, this other sense. Yes, physical death happens to everybody, but... Also, spiritual death happens to all those who will not believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way one can know that they have the spiritual life is to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way one, one can know. You can't know it by any other means. You can't know it by education. The Pharisees had plenty of that. You can't know it by possessing the right book. They had the oracles of God. They had the parchments. And, and, and these were, of course, very um, ex exclusive books that they held. Not everybody had the parchments they had. Only the religious rulers, the scribes and the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Only there, was, there was only a certain number of people who, who, who had access to the word of God. Everybody else followed the belief system that they were taught. And of course, here is where the Pharisees fell down so greatly, is that they themselves did not know the word of God and were not truly men of faith as they proposed that they were. Nicodemus showed himself to be a man of faith. Joseph of Arimathea showed himself to be a man of faith. The disciples, as each of them were called unto the Lord Jesus Christ, save one, showed themselves to be men of faith and proved it over time. You know, and as far as the world is concerned, we're kind of in the same group. Unless we continue faithfully in the things that God has taught us and in the things that we have been we have been instructed in the word of God, we cannot show ourselves to be men and women of faith. 
We must persevere in these things. We must show ourselves faithful in all of these things. In fact, it becomes the most important thing in our lives that we can possibly do. Everything else is second base. But to know Christ and to live a true life of faith for the Lord as one of his disciples becomes the most important thing that we can possibly do. And it, and it is difficult, of course. Because we must trust in Jesus and in what he has to say here. He says, My Father honors me. Verse 52, Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a demon. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and thou sayest, If a man keep my sayings, he shall never taste death. So you can tell right here, they're looking at the physical, and they're not looking at the spiritual. Though themselves were religious rulers, and they should have known that the book that they studied was a spiritual book, and not just a historical book. In verse 53, Art thou greater than our father Abraham, who was dead, and the prophets are dead? Whom makest thou thyself? What, do you make, what, what are you making of yourself? <clears throat> well, we find that all these questions, of course, were posed to Christ. But when it comes right down to it, it was because of their lack of understanding that they said these things. And in verse 55, Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say, I know him not, I shall be, uh, be a liar like unto you. But I know him, and keep his sayings. Your father Abraham Rejoice to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Well, of course, he here he's making some very important statements. Uh, statements such as to say that he was before Abraham. Statements as if to say that my particular um, lineage goes uh, lineage goes back far beyond Abraham. And Abraham, remember, believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness' sake. Uh, which seems to be a spiritual truth that the Pharisees quite neglected. And that he looked for a foundation whose builder and maker was God. And so he was not looking for an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly. As the book of Hebrews tells us. And of course they were missing this whole thing. And so Abraham did, by faith, look to the future because of the spiritual nature of his faith and his belief in God. And that is how he saw him by faith. Because let us not forget who Jesus is. He is God. He is the incarnate God. He is the second person of the Trinity, the triunity of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He is eternal and preexistent by nature and has always been with the Father. Even in his sonship, he has always been with the Father. 
And so when he makes this statement, it goes way beyond their understanding and comprehension. In verse 57, Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Well, why did they say fifty? Well, because if you read the Old Testament, fifty was the cutoff point for the priests. It was like they from twenty-five maybe to fifty years old. Uh, that was the eligibility for priesthood. And so fifty years old was a cutoff point. So I'm kind of like, what do you consider old age today? Maybe seventy? Seventy-five? Maybe people today, you know, well, eighty is the new seventy. You know, they keep, keep pushing it, you know, a little bit more all the time. But, yeah, 50 was kind of like the cutoff point. And that, that's why they were saying this to him. Um, you aren't even yet 50 years old. He should have been about 33 at this particular juncture. And so the Jews said unto him, Thou art not yet a full age or mature, you might say. And hast thou seen Abraham? He said, you're not old enough to see Abraham. <laughs> Basically. Verse uh, 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. So here's another verily, verily, a truly, truly statement. One of those that stands out along with verse 51. And so he gives this declaration, if you will, here in verse 58 um, of his true Godhood with the Father the I am and it's not just saying that I'm here in front of you it's saying that I am and ever have been with the Father in heaven and they didn't understand it but they knew it well enough to know that according to their law, it was blasphemy to say such a thing. And so what is their next response? They wanted to do what Satan had been trying to do all along, was to destroy him, to kill him, to kill him. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, well, we can imagine that the temple was very crowded at this particular time. Wherever Jesus was, there was a lot of people. And these religious rulers, no doubt, were talking to him. But you can imagine the crowd just kind of coming in at a certain point, perhaps, and engulfing the Lord Jesus. And he kind of just slips away. They always had him right in their hands, but they never could grasp him. They never could hold on to him because it was not yet time for them to do that. It wouldn't come to a later period of time when he would be betrayed by the kiss of one of his own disciples who was not one of the true discipleship who did not believe the word of God, who also was a son of perdition, like these who were being puppeted by the evil one, even as they were under the control and desired to do the will and the evil desires of Satan, 
we find Judas was a part of the inner crowd, inner group, inner, uh, the inner core of Jesus' own discipleship, and, and he was called a son of perdition. It is true that the enemy is always closer than we think. But we know that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. My father honors me, Jesus said. And if there's one thing that we can say as well in our relationship to God, our Heavenly Father honors us too. Those who honor God, God honors. And that's what we need to take away from these things and realize that God means for us to be faithful in all that he has required of us, that we may faithfully be his servants. Shall we look to the Lord in prayer? Loving Father, we do thank you for your word to us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit's ability to teach us, to edify us in faith, to exhort us in the things of the word of God, to teach us the importance of hearing the word of God and living out the word of God, and for us to know that we cannot do this by ourselves, but that we must trust in you, Lord, to work this out in us, and we know, Lord, that even though man does not honor us, as long as we honor the Father, the Father honors us. Because we are truly his sons, his children. And we thank you and praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.